Hello, I'm Archbishop John Wilson, and I'm the Bishop for Catechesis at the Catholic Bishops' Conference of England and Wales. This year, 2019, is the 40th anniversary of the promulgation of Pope St John Paul II's Apostolic Exhortation, Catechesi Tridende, one of the great church documents on catechesis in the modern world. We wish to mark this occasion by inviting the faithful, particularly catechists, many of whom have never encountered the beauty and richness of John Paul II's thoughts on catechesis to delve into Catechesi Tridende, either individually or ideally in groups. This is why we have produced this study and formation guide in the spirit of Catechesi Tridende itself, which boldly states, everybody needs to be catechised. John Paul II repeatedly invites all the faithful, even clergy, religious and catechists, to continued renewal of their ministry and deepening of their faith through prayer, study and contemplation, to build up their personal apostolate of catechesis and to allow themselves to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. We have produced four modules for this study guide, each based on roughly ten pages of text. Each module includes an outline of the text, the text itself, summary questions, journaling prompts, discussion questions, and perhaps most importantly, prayers to use before study and Lexio Divina passages to help you to enter more deeply into the scriptural inspiration behind this apostolic exhortation. There are detailed instructions for using this guide, and all of these resources are free to download from our website. The text for each module, along with a brief meditation on a central theme of that passage, is also available to listen to in these podcasts. It is my hope that the words of Pope St John Paul II will encourage and inspire you in your own catechetical work and strengthen your discipleship to Jesus Christ. The closer we draw to him, the more we will be able to lead and inspire those we teach to know him and to follow him. Thank you, from the bottom of my heart, for what you do to teach the Catholic faith. Your faithful witness is an inspiration to many. I offer you my blessing and assure you of my prayers for your very important ministry. Module 2. The next section of Catechesi Tridende that you are about to hear has several strong and important themes. This stretch of text urges us to understand catechesis as an integral part of evangelization. It is a way of proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. Taking catechesis up in this way depends on us understanding what it means to truly make Christ known. There is a cunning fallacy that is accepted without scrutiny by many persons, both within and outside the church. That faith consists in believing without proof without reason or without certainty. The fallacy goes like this. We can be certain that 2 plus 2 equals 4, that water freezes at 0 degrees Celsius, and that zebras are black and white. But we cannot know for sure that God exists, or that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, by whose suffering, death and resurrection and ascension we are ransomed from sin and offered new life in the Spirit. Believing this fallacy reduces the contents of faith to a best guess or a personal feeling about what is true and makes its claims seem less compelling than those of science or any other branch of human knowledge. And if we believe that our faith is nothing more than a guess or a feeling, 
catechesis becomes unimportant or even a nonsense. Why should we worry about how we teach what can't truly be known? This is why it is essential that catechists truly understand, believe and proclaim the knowability of God and the certainty of faith. The proclamation of the Gospel is not an announcement of mere opinion or something that the Church thinks might be true. It is the absolute truth, certain, unchanging and knowable. Both the light of our own intellects and the reliable testimony of witnesses show us this. Countless pages of philosophy and theology testify to the intellectual respectability of faith. Belief in God is not one option amongst myriad viable choices. It is the only truth that makes sense of the whole of the reality. At the root of the Church's concern for sound faithful catechesis is the truth that God can be known as the sure and certain object of reason and faith. Knowing God is more than just understanding that he exists. It involves all the other factors St. John Paul II mentions as crucial to catechesis. Knowing the divinity and humanity of Christ and the salvation he offers us in the Paschal Mystery. Knowing his presence in the Church. Knowing how human history, shaped by sin and grace, is ordered to God. And knowing the moral demands that such knowledge places upon us. These are indeed aspects of the faith that can cause deep feelings in each of us, that can stir us up and hopefully inspire us to evangelism, to share the cause of our joy. Catechists, however, must never be duped into believing that their faith is exclusively or even primarily a feeling or an opinion. Christ is truth, the same for all. Catechists help him to make himself known. John Henry Newman, who will be canonised Saint John Henry Newman on the 13th of October 2019, is a great example for those who seek after truth. You can find a fuller account of the life of John Henry Newman in the printed materials for this study guide. Already a man of faith, indeed an Anglican cleric, he unceasingly studied and grappled with the teachings of the Church, until he came to the point at which he had no rational alternative but to accept their truth. This commitment to knowing God and proclaiming the Gospel was not something he thought reserved for the clergy alone. In his addresses on the state of the Catholic Church in England, he wrote, I want an intelligent, well-instructed laity. I'm not denying you as such already, but I mean to be severe, and as some would say exorbitant in my demands. I wish you to enlarge your knowledge, to cultivate your reason, to get an insight into the relation of truth to truth, to learn to view things as they are, to understand how faith and reason stand to each other. What are the bases and principles of Catholicism, and where lie the main inconsistencies and absurdities of the opposing theory? In all times, the laity have been the measure of the Catholic spirit. You ought to be able to bring out what you feel and what you mean, as well as to feel and mean it. To expose to the comprehension of others the fictions and fallacies of your opponents, 
and to explain the charges brought against the church to the satisfaction not indeed of bigots, but of men of sense, of whatever cast of opinion. Systematic and thorough catechesis is essential to the formation of such a laity, both in how they themselves present the faith and in how they teach others to perceive and understand it. Catechists can have a significant impact on how the gospel is understood in the world. As we undertake this task together, let us also pray together that God will enlighten our minds with his truth, that we may share it with others. Saint John Henry Newman, pray for us. Catechise Tridende, an apostolic exhortation of Pope John Paul II on catechesis in our time. Part 3. Catechesis in the Church's Pastoral and Missionary Activity Catechesis as a Stage in Evangelization Catechesis cannot be dissociated from the Church's pastoral and missionary activity as a whole. Nevertheless, it has a specific character, which was repeatedly the object of inquiry during the preparatory work and throughout the course of the Fourth General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops. This question also interests the public, both within and outside the Church. This is not the place for giving a rigorous formal definition of catechesis, which has been sufficiently explained in the General Catechetical Directory. It is for specialists to clarify more and more its concept and divisions. In view of uncertainties in practice, let us simply recall the essential landmarks. They are already solidly established in church documents that are essential for an exact understanding of catechesis and without which there is a risk of failing to grasp its full meaning and import. All in all, it can be taken here that catechesis is an education of children, young people and adults in the faith, which includes especially the teaching of Christian doctrine, imparted, generally speaking, in an organic and systematic way, with a view to initiating the hearers into the fullness of Christian life. Accordingly, while not being formally identified with them, catechesis is built on a certain number of elements of the Church's pastoral mission that have a catechetical aspect, that prepare for catechesis, or that spring from it. These elements are the initial proclamation of the Gospel, or missionary preaching through the kerygma to arouse faith, apologetics, or examination of the reasons for belief, experience of Christian living, celebration of the sacraments, integration into the ecclesial community, and apostolic and missionary witness. Let us first of all recall that there is no separation or opposition between catechesis and evangelization, nor can the two be simply identified with each other. Instead, they have close links, whereby they integrate and complement each other. The apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Nunciandi, of December the 8th, 1975, on evangelization in the modern world, rightly stressed that evangelization, which has the aim of bringing the good news to the whole of humanity, so that all may live by it, is a rich, complex and dynamic reality, made up of elements, or one could say moments, that are essential and different from each other, and that must all be kept in view simultaneously. 
Catechesis is one of these moments, a very remarkable one in the whole process of evangelization. Catechesis and the initial proclamation of the gospel. The specific character of catechesis, as distinct from the initial conversion, bringing proclamation of the gospel, has the twofold objective of maturing the initial faith and of educating the true disciple of Christ by means of a deeper and more systematic knowledge of the person and message of our Lord Jesus Christ. But in catechetical practice, this model order must allow for the fact that the initial evangelization has often not taken place. A certain number of children baptised in infancy come for catechesis in the parish without receiving any other initiation into the faith and still without any explicit personal attachment to Jesus Christ. They only have the capacity to believe placed within them by baptism and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And opposition is quickly created by the prejudices of their non-Christian family background or of the positivist spirit of their education. In addition, there are other children who have not been baptised and whose parents agree only at a later date to religious education. For practical reasons, the catechumenal stage of these children will often be carried out largely in the course of the ordinary catechesis. Again, many pre-adolescents and adolescents who have been baptised and been given a systematic catechesis and the sacraments still remain hesitant for a long time about committing their whole lives to Jesus Christ. If, moreover, they do not attempt to avoid religious education in the name of their freedom. Finally, even adults are not safe from temptations to doubt or to abandon their faith, especially as a result of their unbelieving surroundings. This means that catechesis must often concern itself not only with nourishing and teaching the faith, but also with arousing it unceasingly with the help of grace, with opening the heart, with converting, and with preparing total adherence to Jesus Christ on the part of those who are still on the threshold of faith. This concern will in part decide the tone, the language and the method of catechesis. Specific aim of catechesis. Nevertheless, the specific aim of catechesis is to develop with God's help an as yet initial faith and to advance in fullness and to nourish day by day the Christian life of the faithful, young and old. It is in fact a matter of giving growth, at the level of knowledge and in life, to the seed of faith sown by the Holy Spirit, with the initial proclamation and effectively transmitted by baptism. Catechesis aims therefore at developing understanding of the mystery of Christ in the light of God's word, so that the whole of a person's humanity is impregnated by that word. Changed by the working of grace into a new creature, the Christian thus sets himself to follow Christ and learns more and more within the church to think like him, to judge like him, to act in conformity with his commandments and to hope as he invites us to. To put it more precisely, within the whole process of evangelization, the aim of catechesis is to be the teaching and maturation stage. That is to say, the period in which the Christian, having accepted by faith the person of Jesus Christ as the one Lord, and having given him complete adherence 
by sincere conversion of heart, endeavours to know better this Jesus, to whom he has entrusted himself, to know his mystery, the kingdom of God proclaimed by him, the requirements and promises contained in his gospel message, and the paths that he has laid down for anyone who wishes to follow him. It is true that being a Christian means saying yes to Jesus Christ. But let us remember that this yes has two levels. It consists in surrendering to the word of God and relying on it. But it also means, at a later stage, endeavouring to know better and better the profound meaning of this word. Need for Systematic Catechesis In his closing speech at the Fourth General Assembly of the Synod, Pope Paul VI rejoiced to see how everyone drew attention to the absolute need for systematic catechesis, precisely because it is this reflective study of the Christian mystery that fundamentally distinguishes catechesis from all other ways of presenting the Word of God. In view of practical difficulties, attention must be drawn to some of the characteristics of this instruction. 1. It must be systematic not improvised, but programmed to reach a precise goal. 2. It must deal with essentials, without any claim to tackle all disputed questions or to transform itself into theological research or scientific exegesis. 3. It must nevertheless be sufficiently complete, not stopping short at the initial proclamation of the Christian mystery, such as we have in the Kerygma. 4. It must be an integral Christian initiation, open to all the other factors of Christian life. I am not forgetting the interest of the many different occasions for catechesis, connected with personal, family, social and ecclesial life. These occasions must be utilised, but I am stressing the need for organic and systematic Christian instruction, because of the tendency, in various quarters, to minimise its importance. Catechesis and life experience. It is useless to play off orthopraxis against orthodoxy, that is, right practice against right belief. Christianity is inseparably both. Firm and well thought out convictions lead to courageous and upright action. The endeavour to educate the faithful to live as disciples of Christ today calls for and facilitates a discovery in depth of the mystery of Christ in the history of salvation. It is also quite useless to campaign for the abandonment of serious and orderly study of the message of Christ in the name of a method concentrating on life experience. No one can arrive at the whole truth on the basis solely of some simple private experience, that is to say, without an adequate explanation of the message of Christ, who is the way and the truth and the life. Nor is any opposition to be set up between a catechesis taking life as its point of departure and a traditional doctrinal and systematic catechesis. Authentic catechesis is always an orderly and systematic initiation into the revelation that God has given of himself to humanity in Jesus Christ. A revelation stored in the depths of the church's memory and in sacred scripture, and constantly communicated from one generation to the next by a living, active traditio.
This revelation is not, however, isolated from life or artificially juxtaposed to it. It is concerned with the ultimate meaning of life and it illumines the whole of life with the light of the gospel to inspire it or to question it. That is why we can apply to catechists an expression used by the Second Vatican Council with special reference to priests, instructors of the human being and his life in the faith. Catechesis and Sacraments Catechesis is intrinsically linked with the whole of liturgical and sacramental activity, for it is in the sacraments, especially in the Eucharist, that Christ Jesus works in fullness for the transformation of human beings. In the early church, the catechumenate and preparation for the sacraments of baptism and the Eucharist were the same thing. Although in the countries that have long been Christian, the Church has changed her practice in this field, the catechumenate has never been abolished. On the contrary, it is experiencing a renewal in those countries and is abundantly practised in the young missionary churches. In any case, catechesis always has reference to the sacraments. On the one hand, the catechesis that prepares for the sacraments is an eminent kind, and every form of catechesis necessarily leads to the sacraments of faith. On the other hand, authentic practice of the sacraments is bound to have a catechetical aspect. In other words, sacramental life is impoverished and very soon turns into hollow ritualism if it is not based on serious knowledge of the meaning of the sacraments, and catechesis becomes intellectualised if it fails to come alive in the sacramental practice. Catechesis and Ecclesial Community Finally, catechesis is closely linked with the responsible activity of the Church and of Christians in the world. A person who has given adherence to Jesus Christ by faith and is endeavouring to consolidate that faith by catechesis needs to live in communion with those who have taken the same step. Catechesis runs the risk of becoming barren if no community of faith and Christian life takes the catechumen in at a certain stage of his catechesis. That is why the ecclesial community at all levels has a twofold responsibility with regard to catechesis. It has the responsibility of providing for the training of its members, but it also has the responsibility of welcoming them into an environment where they can live as fully as possible what they have learned. Catechesis is likewise open to missionary dynamism. If catechesis is done well, Christians will be eager to bear witness to their faith, to hand it on to their children, to make it known to others, and to serve the human community in every way. Catechesis in the wide sense, necessary for maturity and strength of faith. Thus, through catechesis, the gospel kerygma, the initial ardent proclamation, by which a person is one day overwhelmed and brought to the decision to entrust himself to Jesus Christ by faith, is gradually deepened, developed in its implicit consequences, explained in language that includes an appeal to reason, and channeled towards Christian practice in the Church and the world. All this is no less evangelical than the kerygma, in spite of what is said by certain people, who consider that catechesis necessarily rationalises, dries up, and eventually kills all that is living 
spontaneous and vibrant in the kerygma. The truths studied in catechesis are the same truths that touched the person's heart when he heard them for the first time. Far from blunting or exhausting them, the fact of knowing them better should make them more even challenging and decisive for one's life. In the understanding expanded here, catechesis keeps the entirely pastoral perspective with which the Synod viewed it. This broad meaning of catechesis in no way contradicts, but rather includes and goes beyond a narrow meaning which was once commonly given to catechesis in didactic expositions, namely the simple teaching of the formulas that express faith. In the final analysis, catechesis is necessary both for the maturation of the faith of Christians and for their witness in the world. It is aimed at bringing Christians to attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It is also aimed at making them prepared to make a defence to anyone who calls them to account for the hope that is in them. Part 4. The whole of the good news drawn from its source. Content of the message. Since catechesis is a moment or aspect of evangelisation, its content cannot be anything else but the content of evangelisation as a whole. The one message, the good news of salvation, that has been heard once or hundreds of times and has been accepted with the heart, is in catechesis probed unceasingly by reflection and systematic study, by awareness of its repercussions on one's personal life, an awareness calling for ever greater commitment, and by inserting it into an organic and harmonious whole, namely Christian living in society and the world. The Source Catechesis will always draw its content from the living source of the Word of God, transmitted in tradition and the Scriptures. For sacred tradition and sacred Scripture make up a single sacred deposit of the Word of God, which is entrusted to the Church, as was recalled by the Second Vatican Council, which desired that the ministry of the Word, pastoral preaching, catechetics and all forms of Christian instruction, should be healthily nourished and should thrive in holiness through the word of Scripture. To speak of tradition and Scripture as the source of catechesis is to draw attention to the fact that catechesis must be impregnated and penetrated by the thought, the spirit and the outlook of the Bible and the Gospels through assiduous contact with the texts themselves. But it is also a reminder that catechesis will be all the richer and more effective for reading the texts with the intelligence and the heart of the Church, and for drawing inspiration from the 2,000 years of the Church's reflection and life. The Church's teaching, liturgy and life spring from this source and lead back to it, under the guidance of the pastors, and in particular of the doctrinal magisterium entrusted to them by the Lord. The Creed, an exceptionally important expression of doctrine. An exceptionally important expression of the living heritage placed in the custody of the pastors is found in the Creed, or to put it more concretely, in the creeds, that at crucial moments have summed up the Church's faith 
in felicitous synthesis. In the course of the centuries, an important element of catechesis was constituted by the traditio symboli, transmission of the summary of the faith, followed by the transmission of the Lord's Prayer. This expressive rite has in our time been reintroduced into the initiation of catechumens. Should not greater use be made of an adapted form of it to mark that most important stage at which a new disciple of Jesus Christ accepts with full awareness and courage the content of what will from then on be the object of his earnest study. In the Creed of the People of God, proclaimed at the close of the 19th centenary of the martyrdom of the Apostles Peter and Paul, my predecessor Paul VI decided to bring together the essential elements of the Catholic faith, especially those that presented greater difficulty or risked being ignored. This is a sure point of reference for the content of catechesis. Factors that must not be neglected. In the third chapter of his apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Nunciandi, the same Pope recalled the essential content, the living substance of evangelization. Catechesis, too, must keep in mind each of these factors and also the living synthesis of which they are part. I shall therefore limit myself here simply to recalling one or two points. Anyone can see, for instance, how important it is to make the child, the adolescent, the person advancing in faith, understand what can be known about God, to be able in a way to tell them what you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, to set forth briefly for them the mystery of the word of God become man and accomplishing man's salvation by his Passover, that is to say, through his death and resurrection, but also by his preaching, by the signs worked by him, and by the sacraments of his permanent presence in our midst. The Synod Fathers were indeed inspired when they asked that care should be taken not to reduce Christ to his humanity alone, or his message to a no more than earthly dimension, but that he should be recognised as the Son of God, the Mediator, giving us in the Spirit free access to the Father. It is important to display before the eyes of the intelligence and of the heart, in the light of faith, the sacrament of Christ's presence, constituted by the mystery of the Church, which is an assembly of human beings who are sinners, and yet have at the same time been sanctified and who make up the family of God gathered together by the Lord, under the guidance of those whom the Holy Spirit has made guardians to feed the Church of God. It is important to explain that the history of the human race, marked as it is by grace and sin, greatness and misery, is taken up by God in his Son Jesus, foreshadowing in some way the age which is to come. Finally, it is important to reveal frankly the demands, demands that involve self-denial but also joy, made by what the Apostle Paul liked to call newness of life, a new creation, being in Christ, and eternal life in Christ Jesus, which is the same thing as life in the world, but lived in accordance with the Beatitudes, and called to an extension and transfiguration hereafter. Hence the importance in catechesis of personal moral commitments in keeping with the Gospel, and of Christian attitudes, whether heroic or very simple, 
to the life and the world what we call the Christian or evangelical virtues. Hence also, in its endeavour to educate faith, the concern of catechesis, not to omit, but to clarify properly, realities such as man's activity for his integral liberation, the search for a society with greater solidarity and fraternity, the fight for justice and the building of peace. Besides, it is not to be thought that this dimension of catechesis is altogether new. As early as the patristic age, St Ambrose and St John Chrysostom, to quote only them, gave prominence to the social consequences of the demands made by the Gospel. Close to our own time, the Catechism of St Pius X explicitly listed oppressing the poor and depriving workers of their just wages among the sins that cry to God for vengeance. Since Rerum Novarum especially, social concern has been actively present in the catechetical teaching of the popes and the bishops. Many Synod Fathers rightly insisted that the rich heritage of the Church's social teaching should, in appropriate forms, find a place in the general catechetical education of the faithful. Integrity of content With regard to the content of catechesis, three important points deserve special attention today. The first point concerns the integrity of the content. In order that the sacrificial offering of his or her faith should be perfect, the person who becomes a disciple of Christ has the right to receive the word of faith, not in mutilated, falsified or diminished form, but whole and entire, in all its rigour and vigour. Unfaithfulness on some point to the integrity of the message means a dangerous weakening of catechesis and putting at risk the results that Christ and the ecclesial community have a right to expect from it. It is certainly not by chance that the final command of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel bears the mark of a certain entireness. All authority has been given to me. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all. I am with you always. This is why when a person first becomes aware of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, whom he has encountered by faith, and has the perhaps unconscious desire to know him more extensively and better, hearing about him and being taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, there is no valid pretext for refusing him any part whatsoever of that knowledge. What kind of catechesis would it be that failed to give their full place to man's creation and sin, to God's plan of redemption and its long, loving preparation and realisation, to the incarnation of the Son of God, to Mary, the Immaculate One, the Mother of God, ever Virgin, raised body and soul to the glory of heaven, and to her role in the mystery of salvation, to the mystery of lawlessness at work in our lives and the power of God freeing us from it to the need for penance and asceticism, to the sacramental and liturgical actions, to the reality of the Eucharistic presence, to participation in divine life here and hereafter, and so on. Thus, no true catechist can lawfully, on his own initiative, make a selection of what he considers important in the deposit of faith, as opposed to what he considers unimportant, so as to teach the one and reject the other. 
by means of suitable pedagogical methods. This gives rise to a second remark. It can happen that in the present situation of catechesis, reasons of method or pedagogy suggest that the communication of the riches of the content of catechesis should be organised in one way rather than another. Besides, integrity does not dispense from balance and from the organic hierarchical character through which the truths to be taught, the norms to be transmitted and the ways of Christian life to be indicated will be given the proper importance due to each. It can also happen that a particular sort of language proves preferable for transmitting this content to a particular individual or group. The choice made will be a valid one to the extent that far from being dictated by more or less subjective theories or prejudices stamped with a certain ideology, it is inspired by the humble concern to stay closer to a content that must remain intact. The method and language used must truly be means for communicating the whole and not just a part of the words of eternal life and the ways of life. Ecumenical Dimensions of Catechesis The great movement, one certainly inspired by the Spirit of Jesus, that has for some years been causing the Catholic Church to seek with other Christian churches or confessions the restoration of the perfect unity willed by the Lord, brings me to the question of the ecumenical character of catechesis. This movement reached its full prominence in the Second Vatican Council and since then has taken on a new extension within the Church, as is shown concretely by the impressive series of events and initiatives with which everyone is now familiar. Catechesis cannot remain aloof from this ecumenical dimension, since all the faithful are called to share, according to their capacity and place in the Church, in the movement towards unity. Catechesis will have an ecumenical dimension if, while not ceasing to teach that the fullness of the revealed truths and of the means of salvation instituted by Christ is found in the Catholic Church, it does so with sincere respect, in words and in deeds, for the ecclesial communities that are not in perfect communion with the Church. In this context, it is extremely important to give a correct and fair presentation of the other churches and ecclesial communities that the Spirit of Christ does not refrain from using as means of salvation. Moreover, some, even very many, of the outstanding elements and endowments which together go to build up and give life to the Church herself can exist outside the visible boundaries of the Catholic Church. Among other things, this presentation will help Catholics to have both a deeper understanding of their own faith and a better acquaintance with and esteem for their other Christian brethren, thus facilitating the shared search for the way towards full unity in the whole truth. It should also help non-Catholics to have a better knowledge and appreciation of the Catholic Church and her conviction of being the universal help towards salvation. Catechesis will have an ecumenical dimension if, in addition, it creates and fosters a true desire for unity. This will be true all the more if it inspires serious efforts, including the effort of self-purification in the humility and the fervour of the Spirit in order to clear the ways, with a view not to facile irenics made up of omissions and concessions on the level of doctrine, but to perfect unity, when and by what means the Lord will wish. Finally, catechesis will have an ecumenical dimension 
if it tries to prepare Catholic children and young people, as well as adults, for living in contact with non-Catholics, affirming their Catholic identity while respecting the faith of others. Ecumenical Collaboration in the Field of Catechesis In situations of religious plurality, the bishops can consider it opportune or even necessary to have certain experiences of collaboration in the field of catechesis between Catholics and other Christians, complementing the normal catechesis that must in any case be given to Catholics. Such experiences have a theological foundation in the elements shared by all Christians. But the communion of faith between Catholics and other Christians is not complete and perfect. In certain cases, there are even profound divergences. Consequently, this ecumenical collaboration is by its very nature limited. It must never mean a reduction to a common minimum. Furthermore, catechesis does not consist merely in the teaching of doctrine. It also means initiating into the whole of Christian life, bringing full participation in the sacraments of the Church. Therefore, where there is an experience of ecumenical collaboration in the field of catechesis, care must be taken that the education of Catholics in the Catholic Church should be well ensured in matters of doctrine and of Christian living. During the Synod, a certain number of bishops drew attention to what they referred to as the increasingly frequent cases in which the civil authority or other circumstances impose on the schools in some countries a common instruction in the Christian religion, with common textbooks, class periods, etc., for Catholics and non-Catholics alike. Needless to say, this is not true catechesis. But this teaching also has ecumenical importance when it presents Christian doctrine fairly and honestly. In cases where circumstances impose it, it is important that, in addition, a specifically Catholic catechesis should be ensured with all the greater care. The question of textbooks dealing with the various religions. At this point, another observation must be made on the same lines but from a different point of view. State schools sometimes provide their pupils with books that, for cultural reasons, history, morals or literature, present the various religions, including the Catholic religion. An objective presentation of historical events, of the different religions and of the various Christian confessions, can make a contribution here to better mutual understanding. Care will then be taken that every effort is made to ensure that the presentation is truly objective and free from the distorting influence of ideological and political systems or of prejudices with claims to be scientific. In any case, such school books can obviously not be considered catechetical works. They lack both the witness of believers stating their faith to other believers and an understanding of the Christian mysteries and of what is specific about Catholicism, as these are understood within the faith. <laughs>